Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. Normally I start off our times with a, with a passage of scripture, uh, but there's no one particular scripture that really points to um, what I'm there's a lot that point to what I'm trying to communicate, but no one particular that I'm going to spend my time teaching on today. So I'm just going to pray uh, a specific prayer this morning, and then we're going to get right into it. Does that sound good to you guys? Okay. Heavenly Father, we accept our call to proclaim your truth to a lost and dying world. We acknowledge that we need boldness to do this job, and we ask you right now that you would give it to us. Uh, Help us, Lord, to understand how to use the boldness that you give to us in such a way as to glorify you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. In last week's message, we learned that we as Christians are called to boldness. Each and every one of us is called to boldness. Solomon in Proverbs 28.1 tells us that the, the righteous are as bold as a lion. And I've got this fun picture that I found this morning uh, to put up there. So anyway, but uh, the righteous are as bold as a lion. The Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that, uh, that we are in fact, in Christ Jesus, we are in fact the righteousness of God. So if we put those together, the whole counsel of God's word seems to communicate to us that in Christ we are called to boldness. Amen? Turn to your neighbor and say, we are called to boldness. We also learned that boldness is God-given. Psalm 138, verse 3, God gave boldness to David when he asked. In Acts 4, he gives boldness to the believers under threat when they are in need. And all throughout the rest of the New Testament, boldness seems to be given Uh, as a recurring gift, whether it's to new believers or whether it's to seasoned veterans that are being persecuted. uh, Boldness is given by God, it's re-given by God, and it's given liberally, or we would say abundantly. Lastly, we discovered that this boldness is needed both inside and outside the church. Amen? We need the boldness inside and outside the church. We need boldness to call a lost world to repentance. And we also need boldness to call a saved church to holiness. We're going to need boldness. And in the culture that we live in in particular, uh, it's getting to the point where that is going to be the boldness we need more and more. Because in, in the days that as they grow evil, as lawlessness uh, you know, expands. Matthew 25, Jesus tells us as lawlessness expands, love for one another grows cold. And, and we're talking about godly love, not worldly love, where we just accept everything and do whatever. We're talking about godly love, which, which calls one another to holiness. And as we start to do that, what happens is more and more people plug their ears. More and more people, I mean, the Bible told us that this was going to happen. More and more people plug their ears and more and more people go and find teachers that will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. How many of you know that that's true? How many of you know that, that in some ways you have been guilty of that? We, we do, right? There are areas in our life where we don't like being told what to do. We don't like to be changed and to be molded and shaped. And so what we do is we listen to those that we agree with already. 
So, so we amen the preacher all day long going, thank you for saying what I've been thinking all my life. So that, that seems to be the problem. But we need, we're going to need boldness uh, as the days grow darker in this culture. Knowing all of that, though, knowing that we need boldness is one thing. Uh, knowing the principle, but what about the practice? What does boldness look like inside of our culture? And when we walk in it, how are we to deal with the response of the world? Or, as we just said, even the response of those within the church. Practice is the everyday struggle of the believer. Amen? Practice is the everyday struggle of the believer. I've said it many times. Our want to is there, but our how-to is broken. <laughs> and so we need to be, t- we need to be taught. This, this is what's going to uh, help us in our practice. So these are the things that I want to talk to you about today. I want to I discuss boldness in practice. That's where I want to go with this message. So first, what we're going to do is we're going to define the terms. And in this, I've worked out a, a, lot of, a lot of space for myself, but I'll try to keep it in a timely fashion. Anyway, first, we're going to define the terms, what boldness is, and what boldness is not, then we're going to jump into some scriptures so that we can see boldness in action, because that's where we go as our source, the scriptures, not Nathan's opinion, not yours. And then after that, we're going to talk about how people respond to our boldness and what, in fact, we're to do about it. So let's define the terms right off the bat. If you're a note taker, write this down, please. Boldness is defined as a willingness to take a risk. Boldness is defined as a willingness to take a risk. In the Christian life, this looks like leaving everything to follow Jesus. That's a pretty risky move, isn't it? Leaving everything behind to follow Jesus. Uh, the, The scriptures communicate to us that leaving everything behind is a willingness to even leave behind our family that rejects Jesus. And that, that's really risky. That's really challenging. It looks like abandoning those thoughts and behaviors that once characterized you. Emphasis on the word once characterized you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11 talks about this idea of... Um, Paul talks about these particular sins. And he said, some of you once were these particular kinds of sinners. Some of you once were. And the point of sanctification, the point of new life in Christ, is that you leave behind those previous sins. But it's bold to do so. It's risky to do so. And it's also risky to uh, embrace the higher ways of God. God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We see in Galatians 6, the, the fruit of the Spirit, and how we're supposed to live in all situations. Both of those are risky. But where I'd like to stay focused today is in gospel declaration, in gospel declaration, in speaking the gospel boldly, it means this, taking a risk for the gospel means this, speaking the truth and speaking it in love, speaking the truth and speaking it in love. And just in case you are a note taker, you need to write this down. Truth is God's truth and love is God's love. Truth is God's truth, and love is God's love. It is not yours. It is not mine. It's not the church's uh, doctrinal statement, unless that doctrinal statement lines up with the scriptures, right? In a culture like ours, where truth is relative and love is defined as that which is necessary to leave all of our positive feelings intact. Get that? Love is defined in our culture as that which is necessary to leave all of your positive emotions and feelings well intact. Uh, 
preaching God's truth and preaching it in God's love is going to be risky, it's going to be bold, and frankly, it's going to be offensive at times. Just ask Jerry. He knows how offensive I get at times. So the, the reality is that it's going to take boldness to do this. Now, if either of these uh, ideas, uh, if either of these ideas, truth or love, are missing in the equation, we no longer have boldness. We no longer have boldness. Instead, what we have are poor imitations. We either on one side of the spectrum have brashness, which I would define as speaking truth without love, right? Speaking truth without love. The word brash in the dictionary actually means hasty, rash, impetuous, without thought or care. So without thought or care, you, you're going you're gonna to throw truth out at people, but you actually don't care about their eternity. You don't care about the person. You essentially, in your gospel declaration, are like Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane. You've pulled out your spiritual sword, and you're starting to whack off people's ears, okay? And, and you don't really care about the bloodshed. You don't care about the carnage. This is brashness. This is truth, sure. Peter was defending his Lord. That sounds like a great plan, but it's truth and it's minus love. And so Jesus has to come in and clean up your mess. <laughs> How many of you have had a mess cleaned up by Jesus? Yes, you have, right? Of course we have. So this is, this is what we would call brashness. Now, the Bible doesn't use the term brash, but the Bible definitely has a category for it. And, and that category would be found in Proverbs somewhere where we talk about zeal without knowledge. You ever met somebody with zeal without knowledge? Has it ever been you? Yes. Okay. So, so you're zealous, you're, you're, you're on fire for the truth, but you have no knowledge, you have no wisdom on how to carry it out, and then you come across as brash, you, you come across as, as hurtful. The other side of the spectrum, though, we've got brashness on this side, truth without love, and on the other side, we have love, uh, we, have, we have concealing truth and calling it love. Concealing truth and calling it love. You know what that's called? Cowardice. That's what that's called. It's called cowardice. And sadly, this seems to be uh, the common sin that besets the church today. It's cowardness. It's this inability or unwillingness to speak the absolute truth of God's word with the heart that people would repent and believe in Jesus, that they would come to saving faith in Jesus, and that they would have life. So what happens is we just stay quiet. And listen, church, I know that that stings a bit, and it you know, and it should. It should. And guess what? It should because it's true and it should sting a bit and you shouldn't get mad at me because I love you. I want us to be a people that leave behind this idea that the culture's right and we just need to mind our own business. We just need to sit quiet and wait for Jesus to return. That's not what we're called to do, church. So uh, this often manifests itself, this kind of cowardice, it often manifests itself in, um, in ideas like this, live and let live. How many of you have ever heard that statement? Live and let live. Now, at once upon a time, that statement actually meant that as a living creature, you should allow other living creatures to live. It was the, it was the pacifist manifesto, right? And so, so you're a living creature, let all living creatures be, right? Even the ants, by the way, you're not allowed to step on them anymore. But anyway, so, so live and let live. But what that's morphed into over time, live and let live has morphed into you live life your way and I'll live my life my way and just just 
deal with it, okay? I'll let you live your way, and you let me live my way. But here, here's the problem. We are a people who have the words of life, amen? We are the people who have the words from the God of the universe who said, here's how you enter into life. So what do we do, Christians, what do we do when we enter into a place where live and let live in practice actually looks like as we live, we let them die? It looks like hatred to me is what that looks like. Right? Live and let live is not the motto of the Christian. Live and let live, if it's done in its perfect practice, is Christians living and letting people die. Live and let live is not it. Our job is to live for Christ and to call them to life. That, that's what we're supposed to be doing. I've quoted this many times. Penn Jillette, he's the uh, famous comedian or famous comedian magician. They, they do a comedy bit, magician bit. Him and Teller, Penn and Teller. He's also an outspoken atheist. You guys know who I'm talking about, right? An outspoken atheist. I've used this quote many times, or I've referenced this quote, but I wanted to read it to you verbatim today. I want you to hear what a, an atheist thinks, what a God-hater thinks. It's still funny to me that everybody who doesn't believe in God hates that he, that he is. But anyway, so they don't believe in him, but they hate him anyway. It just doesn't make sense. But here's, where, here's what he says. I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. Again, let's, let's translate this according to the message. This is concealing truth and calling it love. I don't respect people who don't proselytize, evangelize, speak their truth uh, to the world. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life and you think that it's not really worth telling them because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? Guys, this is cowardice. That's cowardice, where what we do is we have a truth, we conceal that truth, and, and what we do is we say, I'm loving the world. I'm just going to live and let live. That's the most hateful thing you could ever do, according to, this, according to the scripture. So boldness is speaking truth in love, uh, brashness is speaking truth without love, and cowardice is concealing the truth and calling it love. That last one, again, is the more common in our culture. So what does true Christian boldness look like? According to the scriptures, this is going to disturb you, okay? We're going to look at six passages. The first three are going to result in an amen by everybody. I guarantee it because you've been, you've been trained in these passages of scripture since you were a kid. If, if, that's, you know, if you started in church as a kid, you're going to hear it. But the last three are going to challenge each and every one of us deeply. And here's what I'd like you to consider when we go through them. I want you to consider that maybe in light of the final three, you don't understand the first three, or you don't fully understand the first three. In light of the last three, we need to broaden our definition of what truth is, we need to broaden our definition of what love is, and we need to broaden our definition, therefore, of what boldness actually looks like. So I'm not saying that the final three are God's word and the other three are not. I'm simply saying that they are all God-breathed, they're all useful for instruction and teaching. So in many ways, what I'm about to share to you are going to disrupt modern sensibilities, but I'll just be upfront with you. They're going to disrupt your sensibilities. I promise you, I promise you, I promise you. Titus, or 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 through 26. You don't have to turn there. Just 
Keep your ears wide open for me. It'll be really helpful. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. We can all amen this. Boldness here means don't be quarrelsome, be kind, be patient, be gentle. Amen. I love that one, right? That sounds really great. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Remind them. This is Titus, Paul talking to Titus, and Titus supposed to be teaching a people. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, uh, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one. To be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. That is boldness, right? Truth and love. We love this. Malign no one. Be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. Underline malign no one. Just real quick in your Bible if you have it there. Matthew chapter 5, verses 39 through 46. We go on. This is Jesus himself. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. Sounds great. Right? Truth and love. Don't resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them uh, your other also. Most of us don't like that, but whatever, we'll move on. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, give them your coat as well. Christians and they're suing. Anyway, whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Right? Give to him who asks of you. Do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Jesus himself, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. And sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Boldness. Truth and love. We're good with this. Give don't turn away, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute, maybe not on that one. But anyway, so we, we go on, right? We're, we're at an amen stage in this. These verses fit most of what we've been taught. We all need to be bold, we need to speak the truth in love, and that love is necessarily defined as patience, gentleness, not maligning anyone, turning the other cheek, etc. So, being bold, according to this, if we put a character around it or paint a picture, it looks like some cross between Mother Teresa and Gandhi. It's perfect, right? Mother Teresa and Gandhi, we've got this. Love people. Now, the guy who wrote two of those passages, Paul, I'm going to take you to passages that are going to just, right, and frustrate us. And I don't mean in any way, shape, or form to be offensive in what I have to share with these passages, but I do believe we need to burrow into the truth in order to understand what's really being said. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 22 through 24. The Apostle Paul, sending his, giving his benediction to the letter to the Corinthians, he says this, If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. Come, Lord Jesus. Truth and love. If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. Do you know what that term means? It means separated from God. It means cursed. It's not what we, you and I think about. When we talk about cursing, we, we're, we've got a list of words, and you probably shouldn't say those words. And the reason you shouldn't say those words is because you will be held to account for every idle word that you speak. That's what the scripture says. And so there are some words that just aren't profitable. But they're not what the Bible is talking about when it talks about cursing. 
Cursing would be something uh, that God does to people to separate them from him. This would be damnable, okay? This would be to be damned. Think about the polite, nice Apostle Paul who just told us to be gentle and loving when he actually said, if anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be damned. Smile. And then he ends that with Maranatha. (laughs) Come, Lord Jesus, let's worship, y'all. Okay? And then he goes on in verse 23 and says, The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Something doesn't fit right here. All those who do not love the Lord be damned. Ouch. Galatians 5, 11 through 15. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who were troubling you would emasculate themselves. I'm not even going to give you a picture, okay? So, for you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. The guy who said through love serve one another just said those people who are disrupting you, they should cut the rest of it off. Wow. Seems pretty bold, right? But make no mistake, Paul is not being brash. This is not truth minus love. This is truth in love. In both passages, he says that the person who does not love the Lord, future tense, is to be damned. While there is a day called today, you have an opportunity. Repent. Come to know Jesus. Look at the next one. He says, those who are troubling you, I wish they'd mutilate themselves. I wish they'd emasculate themselves. The idea is you're not taking it far enough if you're going to live by the flesh. Just go all out. Paul is giving them, Paul is waking them up with what he is saying. But then this one, this one just kills me. And then we're going to move to Jesus. It's fascinating. Acts chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. But Elamus, the magician... For so his name is translated. Elamus means magician, right? Uh, Was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, please underline this in your Bible, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him and said, What happens next is Paul filled with the Holy Spirit, who is love, by the way, and he looks at this guy and here's what he says You're full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil. You enemy of all righteousness, you will not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord. I'm going to do a class on this, okay? Who's, re- who's ready? You guys ready? Like, we're going to go into the world, and we're just, like, filled with the Holy Spirit. Son of the devil, right? That is what the Apostle Paul does, filled with the Holy Spirit. This wrecks our modern sensibilities, church. As I said at the outset, both of these are scriptural. The final three are only strange or abrasive or jarring to us because we have been taught how to think by today's culture. And that includes how to love people. And it has infected the church so much that the church herself cannot tolerate hard words. The church can't do it. And listen, whether you know it or not, even behind the amens and the head nods, you struggle with these things. Because when the, sin face, when the sin we're talking about is your sin, when it's your issue, all of a sudden the temptation is, I think I should find myself another church. What are you doing? 
Finding a teacher who will tell your itching ears what they want to hear. Love according to the world is that which leaves all of our positive emotions intact, right? So as long as I'm happy, as long as I'm smiling, I'm loved. No. You can be happy and going to hell. Right? If, if your positive emotions aren't left intact, you're unloving. If anything causes me to feel uncomfortable in any way, it simply cannot be love. Trust me, church. The area that we struggle the most in speaking truth and love is within the four walls of the church. What I would propose is that we, number one, don't rush to judgment on what we term brash. Don't rush to judgment. If somebody looked at you and said, you're the son of the devil, wouldn't you think they'd be brash? Yeah, <laughs> okay. But if, if their heart is to draw you away from the poison that is killing you, the thing that is leading you astray, no such thing would be true. It's not brash. It's bold. It's loving. Number two, we should allow for what uh, pastor and author Doug Wilson calls sanctified ridicule. I love this. I love this idea. Sanctified ridicule. Let me explain it. Matthew 23. This is just my understanding of, of that term. It's just amazing. But Matthew 23, Jesus seems to model this very approach for us. Okay, just take a deep breath and realize this is the Son of God, okay? From verses 13 of Matthew 23 to 33, Jesus calls the scribes and Pharisees, listen to me, count them out for me, hypocrites, blind guides, whitewashed tombs, lawless serpents, and brood of vipers. And variations of those same things, just over and over and over and over. Okay, This is the Son of God who says this. Sounds brash, doesn't it? You brood of vipers? Wouldn't you love it if the pastor just walked in on Sunday morning and says, Good morning, you brood of vipers. Like, Good morning. Good morning, you brood of vipers. Jesus looks at these people and he says, You all are awful. Okay, Sanctified ridicule. He calls them out. But guess what? He's not being brash. He's one of the most bold and loving people in the world. And here's how I know. All you have to do is flip down four more verses to verse 37. And what you see is this. Jesus crying out after he has just sanctified and ridiculed these people, right? Uh, he says this. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. He's talking to the Pharisees. Kills those who are sent to her. How often I want, wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you were unwilling. He looks at these people and he says, you brood of vipers. Why are you a brood of vipers? Because you're, you're hurting people. You're killing others. But I have wanted to love you from day one. I have wanted to save you from day one. Church, if that is the mission, if that is the motive of your heart, going into a lost and dying world and calling them out of the sin and out of the depravity and out of the gunk that has covered their lives, and it is out of sheer love because their eternity matters, then it is boldness and not brashness. It is boldness and not brashness. But we are so sensitive we're so sensitive, we can't take these things. Now, some, some are going to say, yeah, Nathan, that's fine, but that was Jesus, and you're not Jesus. Okay, yes, that's true. <laughs> Ask my wife. Anyway, so I'm not Jesus. That's absolutely the case. But if you're going to play that game, then guess what? 
I'm absolved of my, my need to love my enemy as myself and love my neighbor too. Because that was Jesus too. Right? It's nonsense how we play these religious games. Well, that was Jesus. Well, how do you argue Paul? Well, Paul wasn't, Paul wasn't actually listening to God at that point. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Paul said, you son of a devil. <laughs> I love it. I'm just looking for reasons to call somebody a son of a devil. So, but it, no, I'm not. I'm not. Honest to goodness, I'm not. But see, if the game that we're going to play is that this is what Jesus did, or this is what other people did, well, then we don't have to do anything. No responsibility to love our enemy. No responsibility to love our neighbor. Paul should have never told us to imitate him as he imitated Christ. Doesn't Paul know you can't do what Jesus did? Doesn't Paul know you shouldn't do exactly what Jesus did? As you'll see in the rest of Scripture, this approach, sanctified ridicule, it's modeled by Jesus, Paul, Peter, Stephen, and that doesn't even bring up the Old Testament. I love the picture of Elijah in the Old Testament, right? Prophets of Baal, they're throwing their fit against God, and he says, why don't you just pray and have your God show up, let Baal show up, we'll see what he does. You know what, you know what Elijah does? He goes, guys, where's your God? Is he in the crapper? Where's he at? Is he, is, he, is he going to the bathroom? What's the problem? Do you realize if you said that to the culture today, if you said, hey, where's your God now? Their response would be, you don't love people. Nonsense. 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 We have become so daggone sensitive that we can't even hear truth. What we say matters, church. The content of what we say, it matters, right? Write this down. The content of what we say, or what we say, the content matters. The heart with which we say it matters. Humility and godly love. But this is where it jars. The tone we use, the wording we use, the tact we have doesn't matter at all sometimes. The tact we use doesn't matter at all sometimes. Can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, Maybe just say that same thing with a little more tact. And I want to respond and say, maybe they should just listen. <laughs> right? Maybe they should just listen. Any, how many of you guys have kids? You all know what I'm talking about. Okay, so, right? I don't need any more tact. My four-year-old needs to do what I say in Jesus' name. No, anyway, in the end. In the end, guys, boldness comes down to matters which no human eye can see. Boldness comes down to matters which no human eye can see. I could look you straight in the eye and say the same phrase twice. In the first instance, I could hate you in my heart and not care if you ever get saved. That would be brash. But I could say the same words like, you son of a devil, and have the love of God in my heart and the deep desire that you would come to a conviction of what it is that you're doing and what I am participating in is called boldness. And it is the love of God and the truth of God married together. This is hard to hear in the church today. At some point, we've got to stop being sensitive. Otherwise, we're not even going to be able to hear the bold words of Scripture before too long. We're going to read our Bible and here's what we're going to do. Well, that just makes me mad. So you close it. And then what do you do? Well, you don't listen to the preacher and you don't listen to the word. And so you are effectively the same as the Israelites. You're doing what is right in your own eyes. You know how that ends, right? Badly. It ends badly. Last thing before we move on. 
I'm not advocating for Christians to be careless with what they say, with their tone, with any of those things. We just need to stop allowing the culture to define our terms. Otherwise, we will eventually venture entirely into that realm of cowardice. Live and let live. Just live and let live. And that's going to be a problem. Okay, so how do we deal with the response of the world? Or those in the church, for that matter. Because we're going to have to deal with a response from both. What do we do when our boldness is rejected? What do we do when it's called brashness? What do we do when everybody decries that we're just being far too abrasive? Number one, write this down if you're a note taker. We accept at the outset that boldness can and will be offensive at times. Boldness, just like brashness, can make people mad. Did you know that? So much so that it made the people Paul was talking to and Peter was talking to and, well, Jesus was talking to, so mad they hung him on a cross. That's how bad this feels uh, sometimes for some people. The very message of Jesus results in him being crucified on a Roman cross. Jesus told us if they hated him, and they did, they will hate us. I'm not suggesting you run out and try to get hated. Okay, so hear, hear what I'm saying, right? That's not what I'm saying, okay? Don't poke the hornet's nest just for the sake of it. But the goal is, is to speak the truth in love, to be a person of deep and profound boldness. So number one, we accept at the outset, boldness can and will be offensive. I think we can all agree that Christian boldness, as we've defined it so far, is nacho mama's boldness, Right? Why don't you say that with me? Not your mama's boldness. That's what I'm talking about. You just say that to somebody, they have no idea what you're talking about. It's not what we've been taught, uh, and it can and will offend. We must refuse to allow the culture to redefine our terms, specifically boldness, love, and truth, uh, so as to render us impotent, because that's the problem in the church today. People say, man, the church needs more power. Church needs more power. That power begins with the gospel, which is directly said to be the power of God unto salvation. And we won't speak it. Number two, we soldier on in obedience because pleasing God is more important than pleasing men. We soldier on because pleasing God is more important than what people think. Acts chapter 4, verses 17 through 20. But so that you will not spend or spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer in any man, uh, to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Not only is the gospel message, truth and grace, truth and love, going to be bold and offensive inside of the culture, but when we stand after they tell us to shut up, after we stand and we say, which is right, listen to you or listen to the almighty creator, I'm going with him, right? You're going to be seen as brash again. They're going to be offended yet again, but you've got to do it, right? So we, we just reject the idea that men are worth pleasing. We are to please God. Number three, in the face of resistance, rejection, and persecution, we live to fight another day. In the face of resistance, rejection, and persecution, we live to fight another day. Not one of these accounts, not one of these accounts was somebody being bold and then saying, well, we're just going to be bold and we don't care about our earthly lives. If they knew that their earthly lives were in danger in every account in scripture, if they knew their earthly lives were in danger, they 
they bolted, okay? And then they came back and preached the gospel when things settled down. And they bolted and they came back. If it's the only exception that I can think of is Stephen and he just wasn't, he wasn't privy to the information they were about to stone him to death, okay? <laughs> so if you catch wind, somebody's going to chuck a rock at you, just bolt, okay? Acts 4, 1 through 7. Acts 14, 1 through 7. In Iconium, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed, both the Jews and the Greeks. These key things that you need to see here. But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. Therefore, they spent a long time there speaking boldly. I love this point. It's worth you underlining. With reliance upon the Lord. That's, again... Boldness comes from God, right? With reliance upon the Lord. Look at, look at what it says next. It says, who was testifying to the word, this is God, was testifying to his word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. But look at what follows right next. Miracles were happening. But the people of the city were divided and some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. You could heal somebody in front of the world and they are not going to listen to the truth you say. They're not going to listen to you. It doesn't mean you stop. It doesn't mean you revert to being some sort of cessationist. But listen, that's not the magic bullet. It didn't change anything here. And they were divided. Some sided with the Jews, some with the apostles. And look what happens. And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and stone them, everybody uses stones. They become aware of it and fled to the cities of Lyconia, Lystria, and Derbe and the surrounding region. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Underline that. And there they continued to preach the gospel. A similar instance happens in Acts chapter 19. But what I want you to remember about Iconium specifically is that Acts 14 records Paul's first missionary journey there. Paul took three missionary journeys there. Do you know how many times Paul stopped in Iconium? Three times. He went the first time, was under threat of his life, and he went back for more. And he went back for more. He ran away for a period of time, live another day, live to fight another day. But then he went back. This is what our call should be, church. We should be a people who are willing to be bold, that is to speak the truth in love. If we employ sanctified ridicule, I'm happy. But I believe that we need to be a people that are willing to change uh, how we're operating in the world. We need to change because we're getting too soft for the culture. And we are far too soft for one another. So what does it look like for Christians to be bold, to call a lost world to repentance and a saved world to holiness, especially in a culture that believes whatever feels good is actually love? The answer is that we have to appeal to that which is concrete. We have to appeal to the word of God. What he says and how he says to do it, that's the way it works. We speak God's truth in godly love, even if it employs sanctified ridicule. We accept that boldness can and will be offensive to some. We care about what God says over what man says. And rather than losing our love for others, we live to fight another day. Amen? Guys, the, the church world is just confusing. It's confusing. A buddy of mine came up to me uh, and said, um, there, were, there was a guy who, who used to come to the church and, and he was talking to him about what, where he's at in his faith journey, where he's at. And he said, you should come back. He said, I'd just love to see you. It would be really awesome. And he says, you know, what I want to do is I just want to kind of drift from church to church because I want to hear varying opinions. That's a, that's a 
red flag. Not in the person. It is in the person. But it's a red flag too. The churches shouldn't be preaching varying messages. Should they? I mean, isn't God's word what we're supposed to to teach? I understand that we can interpret things different and we can have disagreements, but he wants to go to other places and he wants to hear what different people said. You know what, the, you know what was said right there? I don't want to be held accountable. I don't want to be held accountable. Church, we're, we're getting there so fast. It's just disturbing. People are leaving churches left and right. They're going, they're just, well, we'll, we'll stay and we'll worship Jesus in our house. Okay, What's your justification? Well, the churches in the first century met in houses. Yeah, and apostles went and established elders over them. So where's your authority? Where's somebody that holds you accountable? Where is somebody that says, I think you're reading the Bible wrong? Well, where is that? Well, unless we have a community, we, we don't have that. And so what we do is we slip further and further into this idea that we can do it all by ourselves. Do you know that God's church, God's people, are both a communal people and an individual people? Do you know that? We are the body and, as Paul says, individual members of it. We are the body, the collective. We need one another. We desperately need one another. I desperately need you. So we need each other. But guess what? I'm an individual. I can go to God. Jesus made a way. Isn't that amazing? But I need, sometimes, I go to God, and God tells me something, and I don't want to listen. So God sends Dave. God sends Barney. God sends lots of, shut it. Anyway, God sends lots, he's too quick on that one. God, God sends lots of people, right? And they come to you, and they go, hold, hold on a second, hold on a second. Have you thought about this? I don't know that you're thinking about this. The other, so that's why we need each other. When we have each other, we have to have somebody willing to look us square in the eye and say, right now, you look a lot more like a son of a devil than a son of Jesus. So counseling schedule starts tomorrow. If you guys just sign up in the lobby and I'll be glad to tell you that. I mean, I have no problem whatsoever. But the idea is that we've got to say bold things, truth and love. If for a second, church, and I know I'm running along, if for a second you believe that the truth you want to speak is somehow minus the love in your heart, just be quiet. You have self-control. You can do that. If, if you are espousing that you love your neighbor, but you are just dreading telling them the truth, then pray to God that he removes that cowardice heart that you have. Because... Because how much do you have to hate somebody not to tell them the truth? If an atheist asks that question, we need to be asking it every day. Amen? We're called to boldness, church, right? The boldness of a lion. That one. <laughs> He's got blue eyes. Anyway, so a boldness of a lion, right? We're supposed to have the boldness of a lion. God gives that boldness. He's the one who's going to pour it out. And we need boldness both outside and inside. We need it all the time, okay? We look to the scriptures to define what boldness is, even when it includes things like sanctified ridicule. And we understand that the culture we live in is a very sensitive culture, but we have a truth to speak, and we have love to speak it in. Amen? Stand with me. The first version of this sermon was at least three hours longer. 
Thank God for editing. Anyway, yes, he's, he's, yeah, he's a miracle-working God. So we're going to pray, and then uh, as soon as I conclude the prayer today, um, anybody who wants to pray for Michael, anybody who wants to pray for Dink's grandbabies uh, and their, uh, the condition they're in right now, I want to invite you to come up to the front. We're going to be up here. Um, we, will, we will wait until uh, people are ready to pray, and then we will um, storm heaven's gates. Amen? Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you do. To be honest, Lord, we're overwhelmed. We know that everything that, uh, that we've talked about today, we, we see the truth in it, and yet we're overwhelmed with, with actually putting it into practice to speak truth in love. It's, it's challenging for us. We accept the claim, we accept the call to speak it, um, but Lord, we, we are going to need this very boldness that your word tells us about. We're going to need this boldness that, that causes us to, to endure even fire and stones. Father, whatever it takes, we need it. So, so pour out your spirit on us. Fill us again with your truth that we might speak your truth with great love and it would be seen and understood as boldness. Help us again, Lord, to understand how to use this uh, boldness in such a way as to bring glory to your name and lost sinners to salvation and rescue. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.